Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. So, hi, Ruby. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm good. On different sides of the country, but we're we're in Australia, so we're we're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ruby, the, I'm so grateful for you to jump on my podcast and and have a chat, and just so listeners know how we met, because we've only just met once. But I really wanted to hear your story and I really think you've got some great things to add. But um, Ruby actually interviewed me for the the Cocoon podcast, which is coming out next month, I think. So I'm really excited. I was really grateful for that experience. But I thought Ruby's uh, lived experience and in, you know, with her experiences as a survivor and also now advocacy and education would be a great um, thing to talk about. So I'll let Ruby just explain what she knows and what, and where her experience comes from. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So as you said, I am a survivor. I experienced grooming as a kid, textbook grooming, from the ages of six until about 10 by a member of the family. And I didn't actually realize that it was grooming until I was about 20 and I'm like, and I turned 25 in April. So for me, my journey for education and advocacy is fairly new, but I really wanted to be a part of the Institute and also to run the Cocoon podcast because I wanted more people to understand the effects of grooming Mm. but also to let other survivors know that they are not alone and Mm. that you know there is a beautiful opportunity to start your healing journey early and there's so many um good things that can come from that Mm, yeah so what did your grooming experience look like for you personally yeah so for me it was I, if for me, it was the most textbook type of grooming for children. So it was acts exchanged for gifts. There was a lot of love bombing involved because I grew up in a single with a single mother, so I didn't have a father figure. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the so my perpetrator would kind of groom me with saying things like, you know, like I see you as a daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, I love you so much. No one will love you more than I will. You know, it, you know, don't tell anyone. This is our little secret. If you tell people, then you can't see me, and then no, no one will love you like I do. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely that exchanging for gifts. So because they were a lot more well off financially than I was, they would take me on holidays. They would buy me expensive gifts. They would buy me, you know, McDonald's even. 
And so there was a lot of that barter in exchange for what I perceived as a child as love and affection. Mm, mm. And very confusing, like at six years old when it started, that would have been like, and, and, and especially like you put out there that you were in a vulnerable situation, you're a single from a single parent home, needing and wanting that love and attention and affection from a father figure and getting it all of a sudden. So, of course, you know, you just want to be loved. All children just want to be loved. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that's definitely a really big issue with grooming is that um, one of the questions I get asked a lot is it went on for so long. You didn't tell anyone for so long. Surely you must have enjoyed it. Mm. And uh, yeah, exactly. I don't like that. I don't like that question at all. But anyway, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a really peculiar question. And what I tell people, right, is I don't in, I didn't enjoy the act of what I had to do, but I enjoyed the concept, the outcome of it. Mm. For me, it was like it was something that I had to do in order to receive the love that I desired. I didn't realize until, you know, very, very early on into my adulthood that, in fact, what I went through was wrong Yeah. Um, because, you know, love should be given unconditionally to children. But in that moment when you're a child, if you are so desperate for love and care like I was, yeah. You would you would go to uh you know any length even if you didn't like it yourself you would go to that length to receive it because you don't know any better I, I think definitely I was six mm. you don't know any better to understand that what that what's being asked of you is not okay um, and why I don't like that question oh you must have liked it who cares if you liked it at six mm. to ten years old like that is that's not even part of it. You know, um, in my experience as a child abuse interviewer and a detective, children, there is some enjoyment in what happens because the body is the body and it, and, and it can be enjoyable, but it's still not okay. So- oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I completely, I completely agree with that. And I think also with children, it's, it's the fact that particularly when it comes to grooming is that you will burden yourself and you will kind of you know for me I used to disassociate a lot during those Mm. acts you know you will do what you have to do in order to receive the uh, positive outcome from it so yeah it it, it's a very peculiar very evasive question but I but definitely I think you know that's the most common answer I have when people ask that Mm. is that like I didn't enjoy the act itself I enjoyed what came from it and what that makes me, and I've seen that happen time and time again with lots of children and heard stories very similar, you know, there was a, there, the, but in the grooming process, you're groomed to be that way. You're groomed to act that way. They, mm-hmm. they have the control. You have none. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, as, as, a, as a child, I remember like my brain was so, was so malleable. You know, I think about what I went through now and it was, for me, it was brainwashing. I was so brainwashed and coerced into loving my perpetrator to the point where I would get anxiety if I wasn't around them mm. because what I believed that I was experiencing from that perpetrator was the genuine love and affection. Now, obviously now that I'm 24, it was it was abuse it was grooming but 
you know, as a child, like you really don't know any better if you think that what you're going, that what you're experiencing is genuine love and affection. Mm. And, you know, obviously with grooming with perpetrators, a lot of them tend to make you feel so special yep. that, you know, you are the most adoring child in the world. Like I, like, I, like I said, my abuser would say, you know, I think of you as my own daughter. I wish I had a daughter that was like you. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I think I think that's definitely something that I wish a lot of adults understand when it comes to grooming in children is that what they feel is genuine love and affection regardless of what they have to do to get it. Yeah, and when that does end, when that relationship ends, because it ultimately is a relationship there, it's it can be quite traumatising for the child as well, you know, it, even though you don't want those acts to happen anymore because you know, you know that it doesn't feel right. Uh, there's this disconnect between, you know, yourself and, and your consciousness and everything like that because, you, like you said, you had to disassociate during that that time. Um, but even when that does end, of course, there's some, there's some grieving of that because they gave you something that you were so desperate for in order to get what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I definitely struggled with that separation process because again like I didn't realize what I was going through was wrong Mm. so in a way I felt like I was being punished yeah um in a way because I was like losing this connection with someone that essentially as a child I I valued that person more than I did any other family member. So yeah. I was grieving for my perpetrator in a way, which I yeah. know sounds uh, incredibly twisted. But again, that's that's grooming. It's it gets to that point. You know? Yeah, it's insidious. It's it's so and people don't realize that people and we talk about this in your podcast in the cocoon pro, the cocoon podcast how you know grooming behaviors happen in domestic violence relationships it happens in you know sexual assault child sexual abuse it's not just you know that love bombing that that process happens in lots of different relationships but uh, where it's most dangerous is when you've got a young person and an adult who is using that against them. It's it's a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, and it really is. And um, and you know, and definitely now that I'm older, I definitely see how they weaponized it. They really isolated me um, to the point where I didn't value any other family member as much as I valued that person. Mm. So I remember I was quite, um, because what I was going through, I was quite a distraught, kind of very withdrawn, moody child. And I remember I would react so intensively and angrily with my other family members, but I would just be so infatuated and I would adore my perpetrator and I'll always be sitting on his lap and hugging him and kissing him and and it and it is you do form that that very um unhealthy bond because it because you know because it is that manipulation into thinking that they are the most important person in the world Mm. yeah and you know I have seen I have seen and heard this similar um you know similar experiences from lots of victims and lots of survivors 
And one of the things that stuck out for me was, you know, most children uh, who come forward or a parent wisens up to it and so then police got involved and I got involved, you know, most children were absolutely distraught at the thought that this person was going to get in trouble, that yeah. they they did not want them to get in trouble. They just didn't want that part of it to to happen anymore. The rest of it, you know, the the love and affection that they were getting, that was okay because that gave them something. It filled something that was missing from their lives. But the part that they didn't want to happen is the part that was wrong. It like wrong. It's wrong and it's and it's against the law and it's illegal and all of the other things. But there's no. Um, it's so hard to explain to people who haven't been through it. Do you do you struggle with uh, people understanding that that part of it? Oh, absolutely. And I think and I think that and I think that's where that's where the question, did you enjoy it come from? Because like I said, I kept it a secret for many years. You know, my family, there were suspicions in the family, but like but like I said, I was very private about it. And as a as a kid, like like when you are so and again, you know, when you are so deprived of emotional affection or when you feel that no one else understands you like this perpetrator, you like you don't want them to get into trouble because in a way you think it's your fault mm. because they condition you to feel that you are so important in their life, that you have this huge purpose, that in a way it's like you're betraying them by yeah. speaking out, by admitting that what you went through is 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 wrong so you do you do feel that sense of oh my gosh like if I tell someone I'm going to let that person down you know I'm going to disappoint them they're not going to like me anymore they're not going to give me that affection that I desire and and I and I wish that a lot of um adults particularly understand that a lot more that the manipulation is so intense that it does get to that point where some children will actively defend their perpetrator. Yeah, yeah, I have seen that and I can definitely attest to that. Um, so what ended up happening for it to stop? Why, why did it stop at 10 and not further along the, on, along the path of your childhood? I think firstly I was getting too old. I was right. getting too old to understand and be a lot more like I was getting too old and uh, too aware of what was going on mm. um uh my mum also found out at the age of 10 I started because because that's when I kind of revealed it because I was get I was getting more aware at the point and I remember I think I told something to mum and she was like no no that's that's not good and and I think that and I think because of that it stopped. But I think but I think the biggest reason is again I was getting too old. I was getting too old. I was getting too self aware. I was you know I was growing up. I had a lot more control over my body, and I wasn't as easily manipulated at ten than I was at like six. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's all about control. It's all about being able to and and the more naive and vulnerable you are at that age that younger age the easier it is to control you know um my experience with child sex offenders is if it's hard they don't want to do it they're lazy <laughs> they're lazy to the point of like you know if if they have to work for it it's not worth it and it also adds the risk to the fact that they they have to there's a higher chance of getting caught when they have to work hard so 
you know, I can understand that that's why it probably stopped. And I know. I, so what are you doing now? So part of your healing journey, I guess, is, you know, in advocacy and education. But so you, you it sort of stopped at 10. How did that from 10 to now, like how have you been recovering, healing? What have you been doing? Yeah, so I definitely had, like I said, I didn't realize I was going through abuse and groomed until I was 19. So I had, I was a very, very angry teenager. And I started attending support groups because the Institute runs um, support groups for people with sexual abuse and trauma. I started becoming self-aware and I started looking at things like attachment style and kind of how trauma is held in the body. And I started doing research. Mm -hmm. I was also going to university at the, at the time I graduated this year for a Bachelor of Communications and Media and Arts where I where I major in journalism. And I remember doing a case on domestic violence mm. and coercive control. And particularly because in Australia, they're trying to get coercive control criminalized. So, you know, yep. people, people who experience, you know, people who are perpetrators can go to jail time for it. And I remember looking through that and being like, oh my God, that's what I went through. Mm. And so that kind of catapulted me reaching out to the Institute, me, you know, looking into the effects of grooming and how I ended up here with advocacy and education, particularly because I feel like when it comes to uh, sexual abuse, grooming is a whole world of itself Yeah. in that I think that grooming, there should be more studies and more awareness around how, like you said, insidious grooming can be in itself because the effects of it, tremendous. They're life-changing. I still suffer the effects of it to this day. Mm, yeah, well, and, you know, if you look at grooming in all its forms, you know, it, whether it be domestic violence, coercive control or, you know, sexual assault or online abuse, online grooming, you know, there is, it can leave such a big impact on like relationships, boundaries, you know, people struggle to set boundaries with their friendships, with their partners and relationships, you know, because basically grooming is like walking through people's boundaries and making mm -hmm. sure that they don't notice them, you know, drop basically. Yeah. Would you say something like that? Like, an, an offender or a groomer is basically pushing past people's boundaries but doing it in such a way that they don't even notice that they've pushed through them yeah oh absolutely I remember like in moments where I felt uncomfortable they would push me more and they would be like if you don't do this then I'm gonna, then I'm not going to give you this or I'm not going to go on holidays with you or you know you're not my special girl anymore so I think I think definitely that's why for me like to this day I still struggle with setting boundaries and I have a fawn response you know people yep. using tendencies from it and I think that's because with grooming it's like even when you're uncomfortable they will push you more to do more uncomfortable stuff so therefore you just feel like you're not being listened to so you're like why should I set boundaries then they're not going to be heated regardless so you yeah. know you just give up yeah and I can understand I mean as a people pleaser myself and that's not through you know I wasn't a victim of sexual abuse as a child but I was a victim of emotional and psychological abuse mm -hmm. and you know and that also has its has some you know that that can be quite 
you can, I feel that the, uh, I don't know, you can correct me if you feel, but sometimes the psychological aspect to grooming and abuse is much more painful and hurt, hurtful and la- longer lasting effects than the actual physical part of things. You know, you, yeah. the bruises go, the, you know, the swelling goes, the, you know, the, um, all of that stops you know, it goes away after a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but the psychological aspects last and they stay and they they almost like cling to you for forever if you, if you allow it. Um, oh, absolutely. And I definitely feel that, I mean, grooming is, a, for me, grooming is psychological and emotional abuse in itself yeah. because you are using someone for your own needs regardless of what the emotional damage will be for that child or person and and definitely I I think that I think that's you know a thing with grooming that I also want people to understand is that the psychological effects are years I don't to be honest I don't think I will ever recover from my grooming I think I will just learn to grow and heal from it Mm. but it will always have this it will always leave a scar on my personality my brain and my heart I really don't think I'll ever be able to fully recover from it because it was long lasting the you know I'm still to this day trying to decondition myself from it and Mm. really understand that what I went through was in fact not a loving relationship was abuse and it's it's hard to admit that sometimes because there were because there were moments where I had such incredibly happy moments with my perpetrator and where Mm -hmm. I felt such genuine joy around him and it's almost like I grieve for that happy part of myself to be like oh but you were so happy in that moment but yeah but what you went through was abuse and it's like but couldn't you just be happy and Mm. I think it's really hard to to kind of figure out you know so I kind of understand that you that there were moments where you were happy you know it's hard to understand yeah well it's hard to separate the two right like they're, they're they're connected the happiness and the joy is connected with the abuse so when you when you're trying to unpack it and trying to work out how to how to deal with the abuse that's attached to it and so you can't it you can't pull them apart you can't put them separately it in the mind they are one and the same it was a condition of it you know and you mentioned about being and and going on to like talk about you know the after effects and aftermath because people listening might be you know might have children who have been abused as as young as you were because you know it's you were such an impressionable young age but you said you had quite a rough teenage years you know what were some of the what what were you going through during those teenage years after the after the fact oh I was suicidal as a teenager I I had suicidal ideation um I suffered from nightmares I developed binge eating disorder I developed binge eating disorder from a very young age because of the abuse but it uh but the episodes of binge eating got more frequent um, as a teenager, I was I was very withdrawn. I was moody. Um, I also didn't want to talk to anyone about it because I felt like what I experienced was such a betrayal. Mm-hmm. You know, I I actually experienced a lot of resentment towards my 
mum for putting me out of that situation because I felt so alone afterwards. Mm. You know, I refused to see counselling. I refused to see therapy because I was just, I felt like I didn't have anyone that understood what I went through and that the only connection I felt with someone I thought understood me at the time was gone. So I felt completely lost. And yeah, and I did have a very rough teenage years. Yeah. Where I, I was, I did have suicidal ideation at some point. There was some, there was some times where it was like, I could not wake up for a day and be completely okay with that. Mm. Interestingly, you know, part of the grooming process is to isolate yourself or isolate you from people. But that continues after the fact. You feel you you're still isolating yourself, or not not on purpose, because it's just part of the the pain and the mm-hmm. grieving and the and. But isn't it interesting how they pull you like they isolate you from people, so you can't basically tell anyone. But then it continues like that grooming continues on because you are you feel alone. That the, mm-hmm. the one person who understood you is gone. So how can you talk to anyone else? Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that is, and that is how they essentially um, groom you and make you perfect for that grooming situation is they really manipulate you into feeling like no one is going to understand you more than your perpetrator. Mm. And so when you lose that connection, it's you, you, like I said, it's a grieving process because you're like, oh my God, like, who do I have now apart from this person? No one's going to understand me like this person will. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, gosh, I'm glad that you you made it through those years because mm. um, now you can use that. And, and I love how you've explained everything. Like not love how you explained it, but you've done a really good job of explaining grooming and how it happened to you because that is a, a very good example of exactly what happens to a lot of young people in that process. And yeah, I've been, yeah, I've seen a lot of it and it leaves such a big impact and a big mark. And like you said, it'll be years of healing and, and, and getting through it. I think though, the, the good thing is, is that you understand it psychologically what they did. And um, you also, you, you might react in certain ways sometimes and you'll go, oh, why'd I do that? Like you might fawn and then you go back and you think, oh, you know, why why do I keep doing this? But at least you know that that's what you're doing now. And there's a lot of people out there that never understand those impacts. And unfortunately, and like we said in our podcast that we did with you, you know, children or, or survivors of child sexual abuse often go on to be victims of domestic violence mm-hmm. and victims of further abuse because they don't understand the impact that grooming and sexual and child sexual abuse has on their psyche and, and how they think and act and what they allow to themselves. Um, so yeah, yeah it, without that knowledge and without understanding that it can be quite, it can be quite hard to move on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I completely agree. Well, because as a, I mean, as, as a child, right, those relationships with our family um, and close ones, those are our blueprint, right. For how we, um, you know, enter into romantic relationships in our adulthood. So if, you know, if as a child, if you're, if you're creating unhealthy blueprints for what relationships should be like, then of course it's going to carry with you as an adulthood because that's what was ingrained in you as a child. Mm, 
exactly. Yeah, and it and it takes a lot to undo all of that. Mm. You know, I have had uh, uh, well since I've left the police, I've been doing three years of you know cognitive behavior therapy, and which is just psychologists, you know, talking to psychologists, talk therapy. Uh, and, you know, even some days, you know, it feels like I'm going nowhere with it. So I can imagine, and that's just dealing with vicarious trauma and PTSD. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that, you know, for someone who actually went through it and was physically going through the abuse, it can take a lifetime. Oh, absolutely. And I think, and I think, I, you know, and I think that there definitely is, I really encourage people to really heal themselves or at least attempt to because once you do it you're like breaking the cycle um and you're also kind of you know and you're also going to have a a more fulfilling and prosperous life from it and in a way like 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 I'm like I'm a very ambitious and petty person at times I kind of it's a way of me saying like fuck you to my perpetrator yeah that I've you know that I've kind of overcome this and become a better person and that what they did did not destroy my life and it Um, doesn't define you yeah exactly it doesn't define me and also that I can kind of help others and help and hopefully help people understand um just how bad grooming can affect a child yeah what was your turning point like you know you're you're this angry teenager you know obviously having really some really dark thoughts what was your turning point what changed for you the turning point for me was when I got accepted into university because I found that I had a sense of purpose. Yeah. So I got into university when I was when I was 17. And I think learning an education that I felt was valuable to me and that I felt I was skilled at. Mm-hmm. Um, and also journalism is something I'm very passionate about. I love, you know, discussing issues around around child rights and women's rights for me, definitely gave me a a sense of purpose and renewed my ambition in life. Do you think that what you've been through sent you on this pathway of like speaking about these subjects? Oh, absolutely. I didn't, yeah, I completely um, agree. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that I would, I would be here until now, but I, I definitely feel that yeah, what I went through is going to be very beneficial for people to understand. Mm. Um, and also I think just just for, for parents to be more aware as well of like, like what the signs and symptoms are, the effects that it can have. You know, I think I think children now are so much self-aware. Yeah. Even I was as a kid, and I'm not old, like I'm 24, right? <laughs> Even now, like kids are just, they have... I don't know, I don't know what it is. It could be social media, but they just have so much more awareness around scent and setting boundaries than my generation ever did as a kid. Yeah, they do. And then they have the flip side. And this is a whole nother conversation where, you know, they're learning through pornography and their, Mm. you know, their expectations. There's still this battle between yes they're learning about consent and all of these good things coercive control and we're finally getting them to know about you know healthy relationships and what that looks like and boundary setting and all that but then it's never going to take away when they don't have healthy attachment and healthy relationships in their own homes Mm. because you're always 
And I know um, from my own personal experience, I didn't have healthy relationships at home. I didn't have a loving family home um, that I was, you know, I am so lucky there was no social media or there was nothing because I was looking for that relationship, that love and affection from other places could have ended so poorly for me. Um, but we didn't have that when, because I'm way older than you. Um, <laughs> okay, so to finish up, I always ask this question to all of my guests. And um, I've got this saying, if people knew what I knew, they would do things differently or parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. What do you wish parents and adults knew about grooming and what you went through? Yeah, so what I wish parents would know is that it genuinely is not the fault of the child that you that it is really hard to understand but at the moment but at that time we feel genuine love and affection for our perpetrator and we do not see how what we are going through is wrong and so I wish that parents and adults were more understanding that as a child, we don't know any better. Um, we don't know that what we went through was not love because we are so conditioned to think that it is. So I just wish that parents and adults had more compassion mm. for children that went through products of grooming because I feel like a lot of the a lot of it is blamed on the child, like, oh, they should have yeah. known better. They should have been more aware. Like, how did they not know that what they were going through was wrong? It's like, well, you know, intuitively we feel that what we're going through is not right. But we do it because we understand the love and affection that comes from it. So I think that's, I think like that's probably my biggest uh, advice that I would say to parents and adults is that it's not our fault. Secondly, we don't know any better. And thirdly, what we what we feel at the time is genuine love and affection. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, I've had these conversations. There's a lot of victim shaming and mm -hmm. we should never blame a child ever. There's no there's no reason or rhyme or reason. If anything, and I hate I, I hate blame and shame anyway, but as adults in a, in around a child, it's our job to keep them safe. It's not the child's job to keep themselves safe. Mm. The child, you know, we're dealing with adults and, and children are conditioned to buy adults, to listen to an adult, trust an adult, do what an adult says, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's not a child's responsibility to keep themselves safe. Exactly. And I think that's also a really good leeway into like discussing prevention is don't underestimate the power of a child having such a healthy attachment style to be able to set boundaries, mm. to be able to have respect in themselves. Um, you know, just dismantling old narratives like you respect your elders. Yeah. You do what they tell you to do because they they are older than you. They are family. You know, yeah. you don't talk back to your elders. I think dismantling those old narratives as well. And I think just kind of be living, having your child be in an environment where they feel confident and they love themselves enough. Mm to speak up and have that respect towards themselves, I think is just, I think that's the best advice that I could give yeah. to, to parents, you know, who don't want 
their child to be a product of, of grooming is, is, is make them confident enough to speak up and be aware of their boundaries. Mm, yeah, and that's a perfect end. I, I personally have, um, you know, people know that I've got a daughter and she's 15 and I remember holding my baby at, she was like a couple of weeks old and it was the middle of the night after a feed and I just remember thinking, how do I help this little girl become a strong, independent, safe, old a woman? And and it all comes down to my parenting, how I instill her confidence and how I listen and, and give her a space where she feels safe. And that's all we can do for parents. And, um, you know, I think that's really important. So thank you so much, Ruby, for for your beautiful insight and I say beautiful it's it's a it's a tough subject but you do it so eloquently and I'm, I'm really you. grateful and it's it it's really important for people to hear what you've got to say so we talked about the cocoon podcast that's part of the blue butterfly institute which you're now assisting in they do you want to tell a little bit about um that the institute and everything so people if they're looking into stuff like that they can Yep. So the Blue Butterfly Institute is a not-for-profit organisation that specialises in advocating, educating and empowering victims and survivors of sexual abuse and trauma. The Institute offers support groups. Um, We also run kind of workshops on empowerment, also on kind of how to support like how to be a support person for someone yep. with sexual trauma. So that's my cat. I, I just laugh because my cat's usually doing the same thing, like telling me, come yeah. on, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's always at the worst time too. <laughs> that's that okay. Gives support, helps people learn how to support someone who's a victim or survivor of child sexual abuse. Yeah, and, and, and we also offer a lot of uh, insight into sexual legislation as well. Yeah. I think that's also a really important thing that we do. But definitely a beautiful catchphrase that the Institute has is let's create something beautiful from the darkness. Mm. And I really do think that's what the Institute offers is a way for you to prosper and heal and have a fulfilling life regardless of what happened to you. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much, Ruby. Amazing. And um, I can't wait to hear our podcast. And, yeah, this is a great little follow-up to that one. So hopefully listeners will listen to both. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse. That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kidsafe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kidsafe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.